0: Hey, y'all. Today in episode 133, I'm interviewing a brother in the underground church in the Middle East. I can't say his name, but my wife interviewed his wife in the latest episode of her podcast, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker, so you can find out more about his wife there. Today, we're talking about him, though, this was such a powerful interview that blessed me so much. I know it's gonna bless you. You can find links in the show notes as to how you can support him and his wife. You can also find a link in the show notes to the interview my wife did with his wife. So please go check that out. Please prayerfully consider supporting this couple. They are incredible. Um, I didn't really wanna uh, spend much time in uh, intro stuff. But I will tell you that this is going to be the uh, last new uh, or the last episode of new content for me for a while., uh, there will be regular episodes of reclaiming the faith that are posted, but they're going to be at least for the next next season. Um, episodes of the the Bible studies that I did with my wife on, The Book of Philippians and Jude that I I did during um, 2020, Uh, and they're on my YouTube channel. But I'm going to do audio episodes for a while as I begin to seek the Lord for what He wants next for me. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you can find everything that we do there on the YouTube channel Omega Frequency Live. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's get into my episode with my brother from the ministry, Live Dead. All right, brother. Hey, hey. So tell me, how did you come to faith in Jesus? I grew up in
1: Texas, you know, and so you, you kind of grew up knowing about you, Jesus is pretty, pretty much everywhere. Churches are everywhere, ch- Christian radio. So I, I would say that I, I grew up associating myself as a Christian person. I had no idea what that meant. Didn't know what it looked like to pray. You didn't know what it looked like to even read the Bible. When I went to college, I definitely would say I was, an, I was unsaved and had no idea what I was doing with my life um, I got introduced to a guy the first day a girl invited me to a barbecue with an organization that does college ministry called Chi Alpha. And I talked to this guy for two and a half hours that night. And the rest is really history from there. He invited me to a small group. I started to learn who Jesus really was and who God the Father was and who the Holy Spirit was and reading my Bible and getting involved in small group, praying for other people and what was really cool was that from from even day one of like, hey, I'm, I want to do this series, it, it wasn't just for me, but it was for others as well. And what God wanted to do in me, what God did in me, he wants to do through me. And so that's like a a huge conviction that that we've had. And so got saved in college, got baptized, and from a year in went through a leadership training course to learned how to, you know, make disciples that would make disciples that would make disciples. And so... Even here in the Bible Belt, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't good until someone really reached out to me and really had those conversations, you know, loving Jesus. What does it look like when you're angry? You know, how do you respond hmm. when you want to lie, when someone lies about you?
2: Hmm.
1: Those are hard things. It's, it's really easy to say we love Jesus, but, hmm. you know, it's more these action steps of like, how do we—God wants to create in us a, a clean heart a purified heart so that we can see him. And so he's still doing that with with me. Yeah. Probably
0: millions of others also. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good stuff. So tell me about your journey of discovering your call into missions. Yeah,
1: it was was pretty cool. I would say that it started when really when I got at 18 years old, when I got saved. And, you know, I'm reading the Bible and I'm not confused, but just interested. And I'm I'm reading all these scriptures that talk about, you know, Abraham's gonna be a blessing to all the nations. I'm in, all the way to revelation, right? That every tribe, tongue, language, people is going to be around the throne of God. And so like, the, obviously there's, there's a multitude, not just my white self, not just my American self, but like God wants to do things amongst the nations. So that very early just created a hunger for like, what does that mean for my faith? And what does that mean for the rest of my life? When I was 20, I went to a conference. And at this conference, it was a missions conference where all the Chi Alpha's come from around the US to me. So, with, you know, there's like 3,000, 4,000 college students here. And a man gets up to speak. And at the most, sorry, a man gets up to speak. And when he's speaking, uh, he begins to talk about things like, if you want to follow the call of Jesus to the, you know, to all the nations, you're going to have to give up things like your security, your, your financials, your family, you know, like having to leave your parents and siblings and so on and so forth. And not that those are bad things, but my heart found it really attractive. And my heart was almost leaping out of my chest. Hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, what is going on? Like this, you know, I grew up wanting to make lots of money growing up and not that, that anything's wrong with that at all. Hmm. Uh, but the Lord was changing the desires of my heart and I was just hungry. You know, I'm 20, I'm newly saved. I'm ready to, to be passionate. And so he gave an altar call that night. It was like, if you would give at least one year to the mission field, to the Middle East, would you come to the altar? Yeah. And with no music playing, Silent as can be, yeah. walked down to the altar. No head, no heads bowed in public in front of everybody. And that was really big for me. We, uh, I, I think this is cool because God called me, but he also called my wife separately. So when my wife and I started dating, I really wanted to make sure that she didn't feel pressured. That mm-hmm. she didn't just go to the Middle East and because she loved me and wanted to marry me. And then 10 years later, we're divorced because she's miserable and it was never her calling in the first place, Yeah, which has happened, you know? Yeah. And so when we started dating, uh, Jesus was still the integration point. There wasn't, it wasn't like we didn't talk about God. of, Of course, Jesus was that, and we were very hungry and passionate for him. But I never played house with her. I never was like, hey, if you're gonna jump on board this relationship, you have to be called or something. I just never even mentioned the Middle East. And not, I didn't, it wasn't something that I did every day, but occasionally I'd pray, God, if this is it, would you just, would you speak to her and call her? Yeah. God's timing's perfect because the day before we get, I had planned to ask her to marry me. She had no idea, but it was the day before our year anniversary. A missionary comes to Sam Houston State and gives, an, you know, missionary, so he gives an altar call to the Middle East. I go up, I'm, I'm fully walking through this. I'm a senior at the time. This is probably two and a half years after I'd gone to that first altar and my wife gets up and or at the time, girlfriend, wife now gets up and comes to the front to the altar. I'm like, what what's going on? And it had turned out that she had been having at night dreams of teaching children in the desert and having dreams of Muslim women covered in niqabs or hijabs, just the full covering of the face or of the hair in her living room. Hmm. And we got to talk about it for the first time after we had been dating for a year. Hmm. And it was really cool because God called us separately and then together. And then of of course we get married and it's like, we're a good team. We can do this. Let's do it. And so that was, you know, that wasn't too hard of a yes, Lord, because we had already answer, answered it individually. And then going into, we didn't know what we wanted to do. Do we go straight to the mission field? Do we go into doing an internship with a ministry here? Uh, and we actually did neither. We went into the marketplace and we went teaching. And that was so good for us because we love Jesus, but there are things that you don't really learn in college until you, you loving Jesus, until you have a boss that doesn't love God, hmm. or you have coworkers that don't love Jesus. And you're, you know, really maneuvering through that, all of those different fields and everything that can happen. And so my wife and I taught for three years mm. and it was really good for us. We loved the children. We taught in title one schools and we loved just really getting to be witnesses of Jesus and be a light in places where, where kids really didn't have much. And of course we loved the financial side too. We loved the summers off and we grew from these college girl and college guy into more professional And we're really grateful for that time. And so we love it. And we feel again, God asking, would you still go? And so that was hard because we loved it. But of course, God is way more worthy in the call in our life. So we said, yes, Lord, we will go. And so we put in our resignations for the end of the year and started support raising to get overseas to the Middle East. As we're doing that, my wife becomes pregnant with our firstborn, surprise, was not part of the plan. And so we really wrestled through that. We prayed for a week, we sought counsel and leadership, like, hey, the Middle East seems really scary. Um, And I can do it, it's a little bit harder to bring my wife, but we're in a team now, but a baby who is defenseless. How do you take that to something so scary? Hmm. And we just came back to the the thought that God is sovereign and God is good, and if he called us, he called our family. And we just rested in that fact, and we're on the other side of it now. And what a
0: beautiful experience it was. Man, so you've been talking about your wife quite a bit. And uh, for those of of you listening uh, who don't know, my wife, Stephanie, interviewed um, my brother here's wife on the Faithful podcast recently. So y'all can go check out her testimony. Um, And uh, you can see links there. Uh, on how to support this couple in their journey, in their ministry. And you can also find links uh, in the show notes of this podcast, uh, how to support them as they're gearing up to go back into the Middle East. Okay, so check that out. So, brother, um, can you describe the ministry that you and your wife help lead out there in the Middle East? Yeah, so the organization
1: that we are a part of is called Live Dead. Live Dead is a multicultural, multinational organization that is simple, simple goal is to plant the church amongst unreached people groups and teams. And so where we're at in the Middle East, we're part of a team. Our team has a business. It's a marketing business that gets us into the country, gets us long term visas. On the front end of our marketing business, we have Muslims that work for us and we normal marketing small business stuff on the back end we have some really cool stuff that's happening where we're able to share the gospel and spread the gospel and meet people that are hungry muslims that are hungry to get out of islam that don't have anyone else to talk to or any resources and so what we do is we have really specific targeted ads so you know when you're on your phone and you're talking about, you know, the Texans or Cowboys or baseball or, paint, you know, anything in between, the beach. And all of a sudden you're on Amazon or Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And you're like, all of a sudden you get these like jerseys for the Texans or paintball guns or beach wear. Mm-hmm. You're like, I was just talking. Right when we click that thousand, thousand page accept terms and conditions. And we actually let them listen to us without us really knowing. Yeah. And so we're taking what man has made to make money and and using it for the kingdom of God. And so we're taking that same technology and finding people that are hungry, right? Hungry for something else. They they could be talking about Jesus. They could just be talking about hungry to get out. And and, you know, in the in the corners of their rooms with their friends or by themselves, maybe they're praying and their phones picking up what they're saying. Or maybe they're trying to search online and they can't, you know, and so we have that data. And so what happens is we send out these ads, and it's not like a 1-800-CALL-FOR-TRUTH. It's more of a super validated questionnaire that they'll click. And if they make it to the end, we'll tell them to get a burner phone. We have a burner phone. We'll exchange numbers. We won't know each other's real name. And for about four to eight weeks, we'll dialogue with them, uh, all in Arabic most of the time, and you know, really explain who we are, what our hope for them, who Jesus—you know, just like you would a new believer mm-hmm. and, like, just explaining everything. And the hope is—and even video calls—the hope is that at the end of the four to eight weeks is that they want to get baptized. They want to get plugged into a, a house church full of other Muslims that have come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then we would see a church planting movement. And that's our goal. We have a real—we're dreaming pretty big right now, and we have a goal by 2030 to see— 50 church planning movements in the Arab world in general. And so that's in eight years, 50 church planning movements in the Arab world. So Arab world is North Africa, Saudi Arabian Peninsula, everything on like the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, excluding Israel, Palestine, uh, and Iraq. And so what we classify, we we just need a tangible number for a goal. A tangible number for us for a church planning movement is... About a hundred churches with a thousand people in total and four generations of disciples. So right second Timothy 2 two disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples. right. So when we have one of those, we have one movement. Hmm. And so we're super excited for we're, we're just really dreaming big and saying, God, like this is yours, and we're gonna we're gonna till this ground, we're gonna plant, and of course it's all, you know this is your harvest and we're just gonna do, we're gonna run our race. Yeah, run run the part of our race faithfully. Yeah. And that's just one of the nets we cast out. We're also where we're at where we are on a daily basis sowing the gospel broadly. We we believe in broad sowing. Jesus didn't just sow on the easy ground that would till up. He he sowed everywhere that he went. And so we believe in the same principle. And our neighborhoods, our communities, our friends of just sharing Jesus's. And, and, you know, we're Jesus people. Everything that we talk about, you know, should be about being Jesus people and loving Him and being with Him. And everything just naturally flows out of that,
0: right?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I know from some of our conversations, you've already been seeing some, some pretty great fruit, you yeah. know, from that. Um, but what have been some realities of mission life that were different than some of your expectations going in? Man, that's a great question.
1: Yeah, reality is often good for us, and it's also often sobering and humbling. We call when you, when you, what we tell people, and we experienced it too, that when you move to the Middle East for a long period of time, over a year, this period of, we call the great deconstruction happens. You grow up in America. You you see how things are done culturally. You see everything,
0: and then when it can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, you're not talking about your faith. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I just wanted to insert that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that's a term that's often used about Christianity right now. Oh, is it really? Yeah. And you're not talking about that. Should I change the the phrase? No, no, no. I'm just saying that for the listeners' sake. Okay. (laughs) You're not talking about your faith being deconstructed at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is not
1: faith. This is just normal day-to-day living. Yeah. The great destruction of just myself, not of my faith or church. Yeah. But just of going from place to place. You know, You get there and... Most people don't know Arabic, right? We didn't know Arabic going, we do now, but it's like struggling to even get in a taxi to go somewhere and explain where we live or getting something from the supermarket or from the market. And like, you know, almost having to sometimes at the beginning open your wallet and say, take what is right. You know and you're just hoping and trusting and there's something psychological that happens it's like it's very you feel very shameful you you feel like a naked baby in a new culture and it's really hard and if you fight against that and try to stay arrogant you just die Hmm. internally and or like a baby taking new steps you you go out you dive into the culture and you just try to learn one step at a time and you fall over and over. And I wasn't ready for that. I, God really dealt with me and my arrogance going to thinking that I knew so much. And and I was really humbled. And so I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for to be humbled as much as I was. Yeah. I think also something that the Lord really showed me, not about my faith, but about just like how different people are and that's okay and how different cultures are and that's okay. I was I was just going expecting they just spoke a, another language but they were they were who I was, right? Just in a different language. But how beautiful cultures are even if it's not the same, right? Even if they're they're completely different from what America does, believes, you know, America's very consumerism and capitalism, individualistic and they're so family oriented. Mm. And when i first got there seeing that i was really taken aback like you guys just spend hours together like you could be doing other you could go make money you could go work you could do something you know but there's there's something about these core values that are really come from the kingdom of god
2: mm-hmm.
1: of this family oriented and like doing whatever it takes to take care of your family i i i wasn't ready for that part of it another thing that was really difficult was just my my wife being catcalled 24 7 on the street when she's by herself oh my gosh you know middle east is pretty notorious for um women being beneath men and that is changing but it it is a slow cog in the wheel.
0: you're talking like early about the whole anger thing right dealing with the right. anger.
1: yeah dealing with anger dealing with like if i'm with my wife it's fine But my wife was nine months pregnant, pushing a two year old in a stroller, you know, but belly's not out of her shirt, but you can see how big it is and still getting catcalled by men just because she's white and just because she is a foreigner and they can say that. And it's really shameful for them to say that, but they still do it. And I just coming back with my wife in tears, you know, or she's in the taxi and a man touched her leg just because there was no one else around. And I wasn't I wasn't really prepared for that. And you know, I'm still figuring out how to how to deal with that because these are the people we came to to minister to for God. And if I just look at them, right, they're monsters, as Paris Paris Reedhead says, they're monsters of their iniquity. But if we I, I really had to learn how to really take it off of my wife and myself, which is very difficult, and just think about how does what does God want, what does God deserve. And that that really helped me. You know, you're not used to here being cheated out of your money all the time. And a taxi, you know, if taxis really aren't a thing here, but getting into a taxi and, you know, their meter not working and they're wanting more money. And yeah, it's just there's all these little things that really just build up together uh, and really mess with you psychologically. And if you're not grounded in something, then it just really messes you up. Hmm. And so I. I had to learn the reality of what does that mean? Greater is he and me than he is who is in the world. Hmm. That became really practical.
0: Man, it has to, right?
1: Yeah. It's like sink or swim.
0: There's so many like truths that, I mean, you're, you're kind of contrasting stuff here to stuff there. Stuff here that's almost like colloquial. Sure. Over there becomes very real, real quick. Yeah. Hmm. So would you mind sharing a story or two of God using your ministry to bring a per- person out of darkness and into his eternal kingdom? Yeah, absolutely, man. Before I say the story,
1: I, I think it, it'd be relevant and adequate of me to say that we just stand on the shoulders of giants. There have been missionaries for hundreds of years in the Middle East, and we stand on their shoulders. We wouldn't be where we are without them. And we're just trying to, you know, we all got a, a place to play in the rope of eternity, and we're just trying to play our part obediently, as faithfully as possible. And, you know, we're, we're seeing some really cool things, and we're really grateful. One story from, that comes out of just sowing broadly I'll kinda of back it up to the Muslim's perspective and then we'll we'll dive into what happened. And so one morning a girl wakes up. We'll call her name Fatima. Yeah. And Fatima has a dream. And in this dream, she is before Jesus on the cross. She she doesn't really know what's happening. And this is at night while she's sleeping, right? And Jesus gets off the cross, looks at her, and says, Fatima there's a book about me, go and find it. Hmm. Fatima wakes up. You know, what just happened? She's Islamic. She is a good Islamic girl, good Muslim girl, who's really hungry for truth. And what we know is Jesus showed up to her in a dream. If that was one of our friends here in the States, they would almost 99% know who that was and what the book was. Fatima didn't. Hmm. She's like, what in the world is happening and so she goes on and looks not for a day or two days or a week or two weeks or two months or six months, but two years until a person from our team gets into and shares a taxi cab with her. So two years after she has this dream and our team member then goes and, you know, we pr- believe in broadly sewing, so talking to her. And within the first five minutes, she's just talking about Jesus, who Jesus is to her. And, like, what she was reading this morning, and this is all happening in in Arabic, and Fatima stops her and says, that's it, with wide eyes. That's the man I've been looking for. Wow. And so it goes on, right? Gets discipled, gets baptized, is now loving Jesus. It just absolutely incredible. And just because we had boots on the ground and somebody was willing to, you know, despite maybe having children in the morning be cranky and have a hard morning, and you're trying to get children to school who still chose to open her mouth and just share about Jesus. And because she did, you know, there's a new woman in the kingdom of God.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's really cool. And just recently uh, in January, uh, we, one of our team members had... Uh, hired a, n- a nanny for her work. So, nannies are pretty common in the Eastern world and the Middle Eastern world. And so, you know, for two hours a day, would come watch the children while she did other things. She comes home one day from running errands, and the nanny is reading her Arabic Bible. Hmm. And she's like, This is really interesting. This is not a normal behavior. Turns out she had been having dreams at night. She started reading the Bible. And what's cool, what's happening right now in the Middle East that is really unprecedented is that not only is a one person, normally if that was happening, that this woman who's reading this Bible, uh, normally she would be ostracized for her family, and it still happens. And that would probably be the end of the salvations that come from this. But this woman went home and shared with her husband and her kids, and they all got saved, Mm -hmm. and they all got baptized. Praise God. And it, it's just absolutely incredible. so as as I was saying also from just one more story and from that from the marketing side of it, yeah um, yeah, yeah that we're doing through the business. yeah so what we're doing in the country that we're at, we're also outsourcing to other countries um, because we're seeing a lot of fruit from it. and one country in the Middle East that is very strict on having any Christianity materials at all. We got put in contact with this man and we'll just say his name is Muhammad. And Muhammad, uh, you know, we're talking with him and he seems very eager about everything that we're saying. And we're talking and he's like, he's saying that he wants to know who Jesus is. And not only... Is he wanting to know who Jesus is? He's meeting with 45 to 50 other people in the same boat as him, who have no Bibles, who have no scripture, who've been having dreams, who have been, they're just hungry and ready to be set on fire. And instantly, right? You have boots on the ground. Uh, 45 to 50 missional minded people that are baptized, loving Jesus and ready to die for the gospel. Wow. And so, yeah, it's just, it's so unprecedented, right? This is stuff that, that our forefathers never really saw, but we're, we wouldn't be here without their blood, right? We wouldn't be here without their sacrifices. And we're just trying to be obedient and faithful to what God is giving us. It's, it's, it's really incredible.
0: Praise God. And it's so awesome how God is doing this without, um, uh, mailers like and uh billboards and, you know it's it's totally different it's it's a different type of marketing and god is using dreams yeah, right like yeah. he's it's it's so different um and this is kind this is secretive right um so with that said what is a challenge and an advantage of underground church gatherings where you are? Yeah, so
1: if you're not familiar, right, we have to be underground, we're in apartments, we're in, we're in houses, we'll never have a building right. to our name that's called a church because it's illegal for a Muslim to become a Christian. Right. A lot of times they'll lose their life and their families will wanna kill them out of shame. So to illustrate the challenge and advantage, I'll share a, a unique story so there's a story, and uh, we, we'll call it the Kingfisher story.
0: All right. Wait, is that based on the gunfighter from the Old West? It is not. <laughs> okay. It is not.
1: That'd be kind of cool, though, the yeah. Old Western gunfighter.
0: Yeah. Sorry, man. I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd no, historian. No, you're good. You're good. Right. <laughs> so
1: it doesn't really matter where this took place, but on, on a port city, there was... Right. Fishing. Fishing was a big import export, big for the cities and big for the restaurants and everything. So this one man, we'll we'll say his name was Steve and Steve was a fisherman all his life and his fish were always better than all of the other fish, that other fishermen. We're talking about like hundreds of businesses hundreds of fishermen that are going out. And Steve is the best. Yeah. And not only is he, is he the best, but he's far and beyond the best. It's not like by one decimal point, it's by like double, triple. Yeah. His fish are always healthier, fresher, and way more able to be you know eaten at a, and in a nice setting or just delicacy. Yeah. And so, but nobody knew why. Nobody knew why Steve's fish were this way. On Steve's deathbed, he tells his secret to his daughter. And he goes, I've held this all my life. I've never written it anywhere, but I want you to know how this happened. And so he begins to tell the daughter that when he would go out and he'd have his buckets and his barrels and his tubs where he would, the fish that he caught, he'd put in. Inside of each of those, he would put a bigger fish. And he would put a fish that was not only bigger, but would try to eat all the other fish so that when they came to shore he might be less he might be down on fish you know a, within the day or two journey he'd be down on fish but the fish that were left would be alive and vibrant because they had to keep swimming yeah all the other fishermen they never did this And so these fish would be put into tubs, into barrels, and they'd be stagnant for 24 to 48 hours and their muscles would deteriorate and they would be just as, you know, almost dead by the time they got there because there is nothing. They're just comfortable. They didn't have to swim. They were fed. And so there's a very valuable principle, if if you can't see it already, is is that when there is persecution, when you are having to fight to be a christian when mm. the, when it's not easy there is something about it that just keeps you alive mm. right we philippians 3:10 says we'll know the power of his resurrection we really like that we love power we love to hear power and we love resurrection but the next part says to share in the fellowship of his sufferings right. and to be conformed to his death right and those things aren't easy but there is a beauty about knowing Jesus that we'll never experience unless we live under a tooth and nail of whether government or persecution. And maybe one day America will be like that. Hmm. But there's a beauty that that our Muslim friends know, hmm. that all never know hmm. because of the life they live. So that it's a challenge because hmm. it is illegal, right? It's illegal for this. And so we're having to, why do we have to have this like company to get into a country and then on the front end have something that's not and then on the back end, right there's, there's so many hoops there's so much money that has to go into this just for these people to know the gospel that's that's challenges and then they have to be secretive where they're going they can't they have to make sure they're not being tracked they have to make sure that you know there's all this stuff going on but the advantage
0: is how alive these people are yeah and how much they love Jesus and are ready to die for him yeah so I know this is kind of this is kind of similar but what about The challenge and advantage with with discipleship. Yeah. A big challenge is fear. Yeah. When it comes to making disciples
1: is what we've seen is that uh, a lot of our Muslim friends that come to know Jesus, the first step they have to get over is fear and of sharing who God is. And, you know, we have a fear here because we really care what people think about us. They have a fear there because if they say the wrong thing to the wrong person, they're going to get reported and that there goes their life, right? You know, whether thrown in jail or killed. And so they, that, that's a challenge that we don't, there's not a, there's that fear. It's rejection here. It's life, life and death there. But then the advantage of that is, is almost the same principle that we just talked about is like. Because it's not this just easy thing you can do to anyone. There's just a vibrancy that happens when a Muslim just catches it. When they catch discipleship, when it comes who they are, when they... And why does it become who they are? Because that's what the Bible is. That was Jesus, the 12 disciples. This was Paul, right? It's all about small groups and discipleship and making disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples. And so when they catch this, right, when the Holy Spirit gets in them, right, Acts 1-8, right, the the whole boldness part of that, it's awesome. And some people, it's funny because some people are, it, there's, like, no fear. There's, like, it's, there's so much against them that they're, like, it just takes everything away.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so two last questions. Yeah. First, how can folks pray for you and your wife mm. and your team, I guess? Yeah. Our team is pretty cool.
1: It's unique in the fact that most of us are under 35 and most of us have young children, ages from 1 month to I think our oldest is 6 years old and I think there's there's maybe 9 or 10 children. So the devil loves to uses weapons against young children and so especially in the Islamic world. And so if you can just Please pray for our children that anytime I I think about it, it's like, Lord, I, I want all my children, all of these children to grow up loving you in a vibrant way, you know, and, you know, they're, they're young enough to where we haven't seen anything that's like prodigal or anything like that. But just like, let's let's be preventative, not just reactionary. Let's let's pray the Holy Spirit upon them. Let's let's make sure that we're covering the bases, covering their schools and then as a team, unity, uh, right? God's blessing goes where unity is. And so we, we're we pretty fun. We're pretty different. Uh, and then we also have similarities. And with the intensity of the Middle East, um, unity is just the, the biggest thing, the biggest like spear that will pier- pierce this darkness and pierce the hardness as if we can be united, if we can be forgiving, full of grace, if we can think, not the worst of each other, but better and believe the best about each other in a healthy manner. Yeah, those two things. And then, of course, for our Muslim friends, we, we, we constantly pray against faith against fear and for the cross to be unveiled and the people that we're talking to, that, the, that their eyes would open, their ears would hear, that their mouths would open, and that they would see the kingdom of God, that they would see God for who he
0: is who he rightfully is. Yeah. Again, folks, before this uh, last question, um, my brother here probably wouldn't say it. Uh, Please go to those show notes and uh, click on the link to be able to support this family. Uh, One time gifts are great, but if you can become a regular supporter, that is in addition to prayer, so encouraging to this family so please consider doing that all right brother last question any final words of advice or exhortation for those listening
1: yeah the bible mentions a lot of people by name two thirds of those don't end well don't finish well right and that's kind of scary how how are we going to make it to the end you know how we're loving jesus now but i want to love jesus if i make it to 70 80 90 i want to make it and i don't want to just make it i don't want to be cynical and i don't want to be a grumpy old man i and i, I want to still make disciples when i'm you know i don't want to retire in the sense of in, in this part of life and so i think there's there's two really valuable attributes of god that will keep us and i and it's happened in my life and it's probably happened in your life if you've gone through hard things and leaned into god but number 1 we all know God is good, right? God is a good God. He works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, right? We we really believe in that. We know God is good. But not only is God good, but he's sovereign. And that and we can all probably shake our head and yeah, that's right. That's good. That's true. And the, but the reason they're they're so valuable together to to know that we serve a sovereignly good God, is because that means no matter who our boss is, no matter who we're interacting with, who's on my team, no matter what happens to you, you could lose a you could lose your wife, you could lose a child, and those are really hard things. You could miss out on a promotion. People can lie behind your back. But if you know that God is sovereignly good and that he holds all things together, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, if you can hold those two two things together, we will be unshakable. And the kingdom of hell will not come against us. Doesn't mean that the pain doesn't isn't there. It doesn't mean that sadness won't come or anger or the emotions, but when we trust that God is sovereignly good, we are—we really are just unshakable and God will use that. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, pray that, that God would keep us all and that we could continue loving Him.
2: God.
3: Just a typical morning in a flash it all changed, When words written on pages became what my eyes saw that day. See the Holy One's glory. your fire surprise me instead your mercy i can't comprehend won't you say with pain pierced through crushed oppressed innocent his blood